Story time. She pretended she was working while watching reruns of The Bachelor. <laughs> you caught me. Story time. In the middle of the meeting, they were not paying attention, watching what was going on online and not listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, we were. Story time. She didn't want people to know she did number twos at work. <laughs> oh my god, that's so mean. <laughs> Story time. They sat in the break room gossiping and shaming their husbands. Dope? <laughs> Story time. All of a sudden, she stood up and danced a funky dance. Awkward. <laughs> she does do a funny dance, though. She does. <laughs> Story time. He sent his 50th email to Dave Ramsey asking if Dave would adopt him. Story time. She worked <gasps> on an application oh for gosh. truck driving school. You scared me. <laughs> Story time. He stared at desert scenes. What? Getting in touch with his melancholy artist. Oh, jeez. Story time. He went to the doctor to ask, how do I have this hat taken off that I once had surgically attached? Story time. He Google searched oh, how to lead small groups when you hate people. <laughs> so you don't know who he gives the first impression, Rose? No. Oh, okay. You do? Talk to you yet. At first, I thought watched, it was a joke, but you're actually talking about The Bachelor. We are, and I'm going to win my league. <laughs> I, I interpret by that applause that you don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> hmm. I didn't even know Bachelor had a league. Is that, is that a thing? How many of you are in a, like a fantasy league about The Bachelor? Okay, good, because I didn't think it was a thing. I don't, I don't really know how that really works out. So good morning. Thanks for being here. Glad you're here today. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, some stories from Jesus. We're actually going to share story time together with Jesus and with one another today. So I'm glad you're here for this. Uh, we're in a series called Where's Jesus Going Today? And uh, come, the whole concept of the series comes from this little verse in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 that says, if you put your faith in Christ, if you decide to follow Christ, then Christ comes into your life. Christ is in you. It's a mystery, he says. He goes, it's a mystery, but Christ is in your life and I, or in you. And I just, I find that remarkable. What, what it tells me is this, that if I follow Jesus, Jesus also follows me. He goes where I go. He hangs out where I hang out. And he delights to be with me. He delights to be in me. He delights to go where I go. And uh, so if I follow Jesus, Jesus follows me and he goes wherever I'm going. So one of the places he goes with me is story time. So um, I got to see my grandchildren this last week, which is always a pleasure for me. I get to see them most weeks, but some of you have been asking for pictures. And so I'm like, I know it gets old for... Yeah, most of you in the room, but every now and then there's one out there who's like, can we just see a picture? Yeah, so here's my grandchildren as they're aging. Uh, my grandson and I got to make snowmen with all the snow that there was in Shingle Springs the other day, which was like enough to fill a tabletop and make two little <laughs> snowmen. And, uh, and then my, my granddaughter, Penelope, she just wants to eat. So it's cool. But my grandson, uh, you're like, well, how does this all relate? It, it, all, it always relates if I'm going to bring them in, right? So uh, my grandson loves story time at the library. So some of you are parents, like you take your kid to story time at the library. How is that? Fun? Like amazing? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to picture. Anybody here a librarian? 
Oh, one. How, so how's story time at the library? Like, yeah, right on, right? I'm just, I'm trying to picture this because it's been a long time since I've been at story time in the library. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking where my childhood memories of the library are like, shh, no, shh, you know, like, like quiet, you know? And then I picturing kids having a great time listening to stories, but that's my grandson. He loves it. He just thinks it's the greatest thing. So that's pretty cool. And it's not too far from all of us. We like, we all like stories. We like we like stories that are told in the movies. We like it when the Academy Awards season comes and they start nominating films for Best Picture. How many of you are the type that you, you want to see every film that's been nominated for Best Picture? Nice and high. Be proud. Oh, good. A lot of you. What's the Best Picture this year? Stars Born. Green Book. Shall we vote? Okay, so see, so you know those. Some, some, some of you know them. Some of us don't know what's, I don't even know what's been nominated, but you know, so it's all good because you love story time. You love to hear stories and you like stories that are skillfully told. And some of you don't, you don't go to the movies at all. You just stay home and turn on Netflix. We have this word that came into our uh, vernacular a few years ago now, not very long ago. It's called binge watching. Anybody binge watch here? You binge watch The Bachelor? Um, the crown. What do you binge watch? Everything. Everything. Oh, see, I'm telling you, people love story time. So here's the deal. Jesus was a great storyteller. People from all different kinds of walks of life came to hear Jesus tell stories. And Jesus was this amazing teacher, but his teaching tool wasn't like lists, like here's a list, here's a, you know, do, do these things, or here's these things. It wasn't like that. He told stories. And he often just left it up to us. He left it up to the hearers to figure out what's he talking about. Today, I want to take you to story time with Jesus. He goes there with us anyway. And every time we're involved in a story, he's there in it with us anyway. And so I want to talk about some stories from Jesus, three of Jesus' best-loved stories, some of his more well-known stories. They're found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. So if you have a Bible and you want to check this out, uh, you can open up to that page, Luke 15. If you have your smartphone, you can open up the YouVersion Bible app and follow along in there. Just go to the app and then click Events, and then you'll find Lakeside there. We've got the scriptures gathered there in one place for you. So if you want to do that, that's cool. Let's talk about these three famous stories from Jesus, and let's talk about not only what the stories are, but let's talk about what they mean. Luke chapter 15, verse 1, sets the stage. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Let's stop there. We're not to the stories that Jesus is telling yet. We're in the story that Jesus is living. And so it's, think about it like this. It's story time. And Jesus is there and he's got four groups of people that are there to listen to these stories. And the, and the four people, the four groups of people are listed for us. One is tax collectors. Now, right off the bat, you know, nobody likes them. I mean, right? Do you like tax collectors? What do tax collectors do? Take your money. They take your money for a living. Nobody likes that. Anybody here work for the Franchise Tax Board? Okay, so we can talk freely. I mean, nobody likes that. Like, take, you know, everybody likes roads. Everybody likes power. Everybody likes all the stuff that government gives us. But nobody likes the fact that they take the money out of our pocket. It's not, it's not fun, right? So they didn't like tax collectors. 
They didn't like them any more than we liked them, but the problem with them was these tax collectors were literally called tax farmers. Rome, the occupying government that oversaw Israel in those days, the whole Roman Empire, uh, they, they farmed out their tax system. So someone in a community would volunteer to the government, and they'd say, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll volunteer to farm the taxes for you. So the, that person would pay a fee. That would cover the expenses for that city or that district for that year. But then that tax collector had to make up that money that he paid as a fee. He had to get it back some way. So then he collected the taxes. And he can get those, he can collect those monies any way he had to do to get it. And if that had to be overcollected, Rome didn't care. They got their money from him. He can make as much money as he wants. They don't really care. But even the fact that they overcharged people wasn't their worst crime. Their worst crime was they were working for the enemy. People in Israel said, you have no patriotism. You're not one of us. You're working for the enemy. And not, not I don't mean like, you know, sometimes in our culture, we, we seem to treat the government like an enemy. I don't think it is, but we sometimes treat it like that. But in that generation, it was. They were occupying their land. They were governed by coercion. So nobody liked the tax collectors. They were seen as traitors. So there's tax collectors in the story. And the next group of people is, is interesting. They are called sinners. Who signs up for that club? Hey, what, what group do you want to be in? I think I'll be in the sinner group. You know, who, who signs up for that? Nobody signs up for that. It's like we have conferences and seminars and things here at Lakeside sometimes, and we do name tags for people. Like if, we, if, you, if you've registered in advance, we get a name tag ready for you. And I always tell the people who are doing the name tags, make the first name really big. I, you know, the last name can be small, it doesn't matter. But I want to see the first name from the back of the, in the back of the room. It's like, what's your name? Oh, it's right there. Sinner. Like, who signs up for that? Nobody does. So no, nobody, nobody came and said, oh, I, I want to sign up for the sinner group. Somebody else put them in that group. Somebody else labeled them for that group. The sinner group. Sin, the word sin, uh, it's not a word that people use around us outside of church circles very often these days, but it's a word that means to miss something. Literally, it came from the idea of you'd be shooting at an archery range, you'd be shooting at a target, and your, and your arrow would fall short. That's sin. It means to miss the mark or to miss the target or just to be missing something. And that's how people use it sometimes in that culture. They talked about a whole group of people that were sort of missing something, sort of deficient in something, like maybe intellectually deficient or morally deficient. And there's a whole group of people, they're gathering around to listen to Jesus. And people, somebody called them as a group sinners, people that are missing something up here or in here. And what's fascinating is they were gathering around to listen to Jesus the sinners and the tax collectors were, they couldn't help themselves. They kept coming to Jesus. They kept wanting to listen to Jesus. They wanted to hear the stories that he was telling. Andy Stanley says it this way, people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. People, today, people who are nothing like Jesus like Jesus. And then I want to ask about us, people like us who are followers of Jesus. I want to know, do people who are nothing like Jesus like us? Because sometimes we who are followers of Jesus don't get the response or the reaction that Jesus got from that group that was labeled 
sinners. There's tax collectors, there's sinners as a group there. And then there's another couple of groups of people. That one is called Pharisees. The Pharisees are the, are the self-righteous, highly religious ones. They're the ones who made sure that everyone else knew that they knew that they were doing it right. They're the ones who had the list of God's rules, and then they had their own list of their own rules, and they followed all those rules, and then they made everybody else follow all those rules, not only God's rules, but their own rules. They were the ones who wrote sinners on people's name tags. They segregated categories of people and said, you don't fit here, you, you go over here. They were the Pharisees, and they were there listening to Jesus. And then there was another group. They were called scribes. The modern translations calls them teachers of the law. They were, they were experts in the law. They, they wrote, or actually they copied the scriptures. So we want to make a copy of something today. Or, you know, when I got into the professional world, we make copy. You need a copy of something, go to the Xerox machine. Stick your paper in there. You know, push a button, out comes a copy. Now you just go to your computer, pull up what you want, print it out. You got a copy. We know how to make copies. It's just this fast. But in that generation, they had to copy things by hand. So the scriptures were highly valuable to them, highly treasured. And so they wanted to copy them. They had to copy them very carefully because you're doing it by hand. And so a scribe would sit down and sometimes he would unroll one scroll and then copy it onto another scroll. Or sometimes a, a speaker, a reader would sit at the front of the room and he would, he would read the text word by word, letter by letter, and there would be a group of scribes, maybe eight or 12 scribes at the tables, all with their own scroll, and they'd be writing down letter for letter as the speaker read the scriptures. They were, they were copiers of the scriptures, which meant they were, ex, they were experts on what was written, but they were not always experts on what it meant, and they were there. Tax collectors, sinners, Pharisees, and scribes. And the Pharisees and the scribes were mutterers. You ever known a mutterer? Don't, don't poke them. You ever, you ever been a mutterer? You know mutterers? They're the people that are like... Fur, 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 fur. You know, like they see something like... Fur, 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 fur. What? You know that? Like under the breath, you want people to know you're talking about it, but you're going to do it like sly. Like they're not going to know you're really talking about somebody else, but you know you are, and they know you are, and you're making sure they know that you are, you know? They're mutterers. And the Pharisees and the scribes were mutterers about Jesus, and they were mutterers about sinners, the ones they labeled as sinners. I think most of us mutter at some time, about somebody, don't we? There's stories in the, in the Gospel of Luke. All of our stories that we're doing in this series are coming from the Gospel of Luke, and there are stories in the Gospel of Luke of other mutterers. There's a story in Luke uh, chapter 10 where Jesus goes to the house of two women uh, named Martha and Mary, and when they get there, Jesus starts to teach, and so Mary plumps her, plunks herself down on the ground, and she listens to Jesus, but Martha's busy doing all this stuff, getting the work done, getting dinner ready, and she finally comes to Jesus, and she goes, tell my sister to help me. 
In Luke chapter 12, there's a story where Jesus is talking to a big crowd of people and all of a sudden some dude in the crowd, we don't even know who he is, he's never introduced, he's never explained, he just stands up in the crowd and he goes, Jesus, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. It's not fair. Luke chapter 13. There's a fascinating story about Jesus going into a synagogue and it's not a healing service that he's at. It's a teaching service that he goes in to teach in a synagogue as the traveling rabbi being welcomed in. As he goes in, he finds a woman who has been bent over because of a disease in her body. She's been bent over for 18 years and not able to stand up, not able to straighten up. For 18 years. And Jesus sees her and has compassion for her and heals her. To which we would go, that's amazing. But the president of the synagogue was there that day and he saw what Jesus was doing and it happened to be a Sabbath day. And so that president of the synagogue goes, And he wants to yell at Jesus, but you're not supposed to yell at the guest rabbi of the day. And so he doesn't yell at Jesus. He yells at all the people in the synagogue that day. And he goes, there are six days on which you can do work. Come on one of those days and get healed, not on the Sabbath day. You're not doing it right. You ever mutter about people that are not doing it right? You don't have to do interactive on that question, but I will. I mutter about people that don't do it right. It puts me in a class of people called Pharisee. It's my class. It's my tribe. Mutterers. You'll know if you're a mutterer if you ever fill in the blank to a sentence like this. You are those lousy blanks. You know, or those stupid blanks, or those hypocritical blanks. You know, you know the blank. You know how to fill it in. Do you have a category? If you tend to fill in that those blanks in your life with the names of groups of people, you're a Pharisee like me. You're part of my tribe. Religious, but a classifier of others. And they muttered about Jesus and they muttered about the people that Jesus welcomed. And what what really ticked them off was that Jesus welcomed the people that they muttered about. I want to be a welcomer in my life. In, every, in everything that I do, I want to be a welcomer in my life. I want people, when they come into my life, to feel welcomed. Like, I'm, like I want you here. Like I want you in my life. I want to be a welcomer. Many of you know that my wife and I moved into a new house, which wasn't really a new house. It was an old house, which needed a lot of work to be done to get it up to speed. Uh, we moved in a few years ago, and the, the yards were a mess, and... I got to work on the yards, and the front yard of this house that we moved into, when we moved in, it screamed to people, stay out. 
and all these barriers to get to the front door. You, you, you had to have a map to get to the front door. It's like, stay out. And I told Donna, I'm like, I, I don't want to have a yard that says stay out. I want to have a yard that says welcome, come in. And so we crafted our yard to say welcome. I'm proud of our yard. I love it. What I find, though, is that it's a lot easier to craft a yard to say welcome than it is to craft a life to say welcome. A life, at least my life, takes a lot more work to say welcome to people. I want it to. I want to be just like Jesus in that way. He welcomed people. And others complained. Others didn't like it. But he welcomed people. I want that to be my life. There's four characters who come to story time, tax collectors, sinners, Pharisees, and scribes, and Jesus welcomes them all, and then he begins story time. Luke chapter 15, verse 3, then Jesus told them this parable. A parable is simply a story with a point to make. He told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You ever heard that story? You ever heard of the 99 and the 1? 100 sheep this shepherd has and he loses one. Now, economically, that's not a, that's not a disaster. It's you know, it's bad. It's you know, it's a little it's a loss, but it's it's not a disaster. It's one sheep out of 100. But it's lost and the reality is here's a man who's a shepherd and if a shepherd owns 100 sheep, he knows the na- sheep's sheep. If he owns a hundred of those fertile short creatures, he knows the name of every one of them. He knows their name. And so when one sheep gets lost, it's not just a little bit of his income. It's not just a little bit of his property. It's one of his, it's one of his friends that he's lost. He knows their name. There's a loss, and so the, the shepherd goes on a search And the word describes a systematic, intentional effort to find what was lost. There's a loss and there's a search. And he finds it. His search is successful. He finds his lost sheep. And he's so happy that it leads to the next part of the story, which is celebration, rejoicing, happiness. Like, I found my sheep. So he's happy personally. Like, I got my sheep. I'm happy. But he's so happy that he shares that socially with his friends and neighbors. Like, come on, you guys. Let's have a party. I found my lost sheep. There's loss and seeking and finding and celebrating. And there's something in the story, a little thing about repentance. Because heaven gets happy when people repent. That's story one. 
Story two starts in verse eight. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Story number two, there's a woman, she's, she's got 10 coins, she lost one. That's an economic hardship for her. I assume because she's the, she's the protagonist in this story that she's either a widow or she's a single woman. She's trying to make it in that culture, which would have been hard. Now she's lost one out of her 10 coins. She sweeps her house and she finds it and she goes through the same process that the shepherd went through. There's a loss and then there's a search and then there's a discovery. She finds it and then there's a celebration. Oh, and then there's this little thing about repentance at the end of the story. Because heaven gets happy when people repent. Story three begins in verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger son son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Story three. A father loses his son. The story goes through the same pattern. Loss, seeking, finding, celebrating, and something about repentance. There's only two major differences in each of these three stories. One difference is the nature of the thing that was lost, the the kind of thing that was lost, a sheep a coin, and a son. The other major difference between these three stories is the percentage of the thing that was lost. Story number one about the sheep. What was the percentage of loss to the shepherd? One percent. Story number two. What was the percentage of loss to the woman? Ten. Ten percent. In story number three, what was her percentage of loss to the father? 50, you want to say. But we haven't finished reading the story. 
Verse 25, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because, he's, because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Story number three says it's not 50% loss. It's 100% loss. Both boys were lost. There's more than one way to be lost. And the people who sat at story time that day with Jesus, the tax collectors and the sinners, everybody thought they were lost. But the Pharisees... And the scribes, the teachers of the law, they were just as lost. They were just as far from God. What's tough for us who are followers of Jesus is sometimes we see people in one category or the other. We see people in the category of tax collectors and sinners or Pharisees and scribes. And the Pharisees and scribes are the righteous ones like us. They fit in and they follow the rules and they do what they're supposed to do. And nobody mutters about them. Nobody mutters about us because we do it right. But sometimes it's hard to make room for the person who squandered what they had. Who wasted all the resources they had. They're lost. And Jesus says, welcome. And we know that part because we go, we go, that's what we even call the story. We don't call, it, we don't call it the lost sons. We call it the lost sheep. We call it the lost coin. But we don't call it the lost sons. What do we call it? What do we call story number three? We call it the prodigal son. Yeah, thank you. This is not a trick question. I know I, know I try and trick you every opportunity. It's not a trick question. Wait, what do we call it? We call it the prodigal son. One, we go, there's one son that's lost. And Jesus goes, there's two sons that are lost. And the reason I wanted to start with the context of story time and Jesus sitting in a group with tax collectors and sinners and Pharisees and scribes is because the Pharisees and scribes look around and they go, there's only two groups that are lost. Or in the story, there's only one son that's lost. And Jesus goes, you guys, I'm telling the story for you. He goes, Brad, I'm telling the story for you. In the story, the father tells his older son, you are, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. And yet at the end of the story, the older son is still outside the house. 
it's possible, and in fact, it's easy to be in the camp that says, I love God so much, I trust God so much, but we never stop to realize that we're mutterers. We never stop to realize that we tend to categorize people and put them in different places and say, you, you, you must not be in the right group. You must wear a name tag that says sinner. And we don't know because we're in church every week. We're in the house of God all the time. We don't know that we can be as far away from God as the others. When Jesus tells this story to these four groups of people all at the same time, he welcomes them all. And in the process with all of them, there's a loss. And at some point, the younger son got lost. And it was obvious to everybody when he got lost. He took what he had and he went off and he blew it all. And everyone went, oh, that's horrible. But the older son, who was just as lost, no one ever knew. He, he was always home. He was always there. He, everything the father had was his. But they never knew what was going on in his heart. And he was just as far from God. In every story, there's a loss and there's a search and there's a finding and there's a celebration and there's a little thing about repentance. We're, we're so unwilling to talk about repentance in our culture today. But Jesus welcomes us to talk about it for ourselves, amongst ourselves. Our friend uh, Rabbi Grossbaum from the synagogue across the street, when he was with us to do an interview this last summer, he gave a definition or a description of repentance. It's an accurate, beautiful picture of it. He said, repentance is like this. When you've been going down a road and you started on a road that was, that was straight toward God and you just wanted to be with God and everything you were doing was to be with God, but then somewhere you veered off a little bit. You did, not very far, but just a little bit. But then you kept on walking. The farther away you went, the, the farther away from God you went. And some people are like that in their life. They didn't really mean to get disconnected from God. They just... They just wandered off a bit and got far from God. And then there's other people that just, they just set out intentionally, I'm out of here, I'm going a different direction. The rabbi said, it doesn't matter which one you are. If you've gotten far from God, if you, if you wake up in the morning and you hear a story from Jesus and you go, oh, I've gotten far from God. He goes, repentance is turning around. He says, no matter how far from God you've gotten, repentance just means you turn around. So you're going this direction. Maybe you're facing east, he says. Repentance is just turning around, and now you're facing west. Our relationship with God is maybe we have our back to God. And maybe it's very public and very obvious to everybody that our back is to God. Or maybe... Nobody knows that our back is to God except us. There's this this little thing in us that says my back is to God. You know what repentance is? It just is turning around. And the rabbi said, 
when you turn around, you are no closer to God than you were a moment ago. But now you're facing the right direction. Now you're facing him. And that's what he welcomes you to do. There's no one who's better than another here. There's no one who's greater than another here. There's no one who's less lost or more lost here. We're all a bunch of people that are sitting around with Jesus for story time. And he welcomes us, welcomes every one of us, if we'll just turn around toward him today. Jesus, that's my prayer for us today. We want to be people that you go with wherever we go. We, we know that's the plan. But Lord, in our heart, we get distracted by rules that we set up or categories that we set up or something that keeps us from you. Or Lord, some of us, we just, we just went the wrong direction. Lord, for all of us today, I pray that we would take a moment, this moment, to turn around and face you knowing that you welcome us. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy to us. We love you. We face back toward you together today. Amen.